Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. As a parent, do you ever wish someone could just whisper some realistic and trustworthy support in your ear and not make you feel awful for not having all the answers? Well, that's what I'm here for. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, developmental psychologist, parent educator, clinical professor, and I'm a mom. My goal is to make your parenting journey less overwhelming and a lot more joyful. Please join me every Friday for new episodes of Raising Good Humans. Hey friends, as you all know, the presidential election is coming up November 3rd. If you haven't yet registered to vote, my favorite resource for all voting questions is IWillVote.com. There you can check your registration, request an absentee ballot, apply to vote by mail, or vote from abroad. With so much at risk this election, it's imperative that we make sure our voices are heard. And I'm so hopeful that everyone in this community shows up this election to make change. Now let's get to the show. Hey everyone, my name's Olivia Perez. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, and the host of Friend of a Friend, a show where we sit down with some of my friends, your friends, and new friends to host inspiring conversations about building something from the ground up. Today, we're welcoming actress Sarah Ramos, who you might know from her roles on Parenthood and The Affair, and writer-comedian Caroline Goldfarb, a writer on The Late Late Show with James Corden, and many more. They're hysterical, devoted pop culture enthusiasts, best friends, and recently launched a podcast called The Runner Files. The Runner Files is a new kind of true crime podcast, and one that's not really true crime at all. Instead, it's about the Jeremy Renner app. Why did Oscar-nominated actor Jeremy Renner ever have an app? Who made it? Who used it? And why did it shake the internet to its core? They set out to investigate the mystery of the app, but got so much more in return. It lays out a thrilling timeline of the app's rise and fall through talking head interviews with key players, journalists, and unexpected runner experts like actor Seth Rogen. But it also tells a larger story, one about the dangerous side of the celebrity fandom, the ethics of audience exploitation, the celebrity influencer complex, and the destructive power of ironic internet comedy. In this episode, we talked about their fan-filled childhoods, from Mary-Kate and Ashley cruises to NSYNC concerts, to what it's like navigating the entertainment industry, and a behind-the-scenes look at what went into creating one of the most provocative podcasts out there right now. Here are my friends, Sarah Ramos and Caroline Goldfarb. Well, first off, both of you introduce yourselves because we do have three people on the show. I like to let people distinguish each other's voices. I'm Caroline Goldfarb, and I'm a writer and comedian, and some people know me from running the Instagram account official Sean Penn, and I'm not the actor Sean Penn, but I can understand why you would think that because I impersonate him on the internet. And yeah, I've 
that's pretty much me. I'm Sarah Ramos. I'm an actress, filmmaker, writer, crazy multi-hyphenate. I've been acting since I was 10 years old. And I also identify as a pop culture enthusiast turned amateur investigative journalist specializing in the world of celebrity. And my pop culture journey started when I went on a Mary-Kate and Ashley cruise when I was 10 years old. Okay, pause all things. We can put this entire podcast on hold. Tell us what the Mary-Kate and Ashley cruise was like. Well, okay. Well, you know about the existence of these cruises. Yes. So. But for people who don't, fill us in. Give us the whole boilerplate. So I found out about it when I was 10. I was watching American Nationally VHS, and they had an ad up front that was like, had all these videos of fans on a boat with the Olsen twins. I was really confused, and they were saying, if you want to do this, you know, we're going to the Caribbean. And you can actually sail with the stars is what it was called. Um, And you can sail with the stars with Mary-Kate and Ashley in the Caribbean this summer. And so I obviously asked my parents if we could go and they inexplicably said yes. And my (laughs) family and I went on a Caribbean cruise that the Olsen twins were on. And we had like, I was one of like the children who these events were for. They did like fashion shows and (laughs) dance parties and beach excursions and all this stuff and posed photos with the Olsen twins. That sounds like a dream come true. Sarah, you you're underselling it. I mean, you did meet the twins, I believe, twice on the cruise. That Oh, yeah. We all had a lot of, you know, as I said, beach excursions. I have a whole photo album (laughs) where there's like a group of people and like I'm in the center and the Olsen twins are flanking me and like my finger is in my belly button for some reason because I'm like 10 years old and I'm just like freaking out. Just awkward. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, uh, oh my God. You were excited. You know, kids put their fingers in their belly buttons when they're excited. That's a known thing. Yeah, I don't know what's happening, but it was captured on camera. And we had, like, <laughs> crafting days or something. And I do have a picture of myself wearing a shirt that says Mischievous with a cat <laughs> Like on. M-I-S-S. Yeah, Chievous. And then on my arms, I wrote MKA number one fan across both forearms. Which is understandable. Like, you'd want to set yourself apart from what was probably, like, 3,000 other girls who thought they were. 100%. If I'm on that cruise, I'm going full 100%. Like, I am like, excuse me, I'm doing anything I possibly can to get your attention. And all these girls have no idea what being a fan is. These bitches ain't shit. Listen, that's absolutely a possibility. But in my mind, I feel like I was at the craft table being like, what should I write? And like some adult (laughs) there to facilitate was like, number one fan? And I was like, okay. 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 Yeah. 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 I love this idea of like being on a cruise and like this like sense of camaraderie that like everyone on this trip is also equally as obsessed. You're like, I could write anything on my arm. What could it be? And like your fellow cruise member is like obviously number one fan. You know what? That's such a good point because you'd think that'd be an opportunity to be like, you know what else? I like horses or something. I'm going to draw a horse on my arm and, you know, maybe that'll lead to a non-Mary-Kate and Ashley related conversation and I can like forge some other inroads with the people around me. But no, no, no. No. It was like MKA all the way. Are you still in the Mary-Kate and Ashley fan club? I mean, not a literal fan club, if you were asking about that. But uh, of course, lifelong Mary-Kate and Ashley fan. Love to hear it. Once you go on a cruise, like... There's no breaking that bond. It's very true. How did the two of you meet? 
It's a great story. Can't wait. <laughs> we met around the same time. Like, we met when we were both in high school, but I didn't go to Buckley, which is a very chic Hollywood private school. I went to an Orange County public school that had, like, 3,000 kids in the class. But Caroline and I met at Second City's teen improv classes called Teen Troop. So this was if you were a teenager and you were, like, a comedy nerd and you weren't even – you were – freaking young. And you're like, I need to start doing comedy. Oh my God. There's a weekly teen improv class at Second City. And the Los Angeles branch of Second City had just opened. It has since closed. Oh, (laughs) I didn't realize that. Well, it just, it it just never really caught on. The location was kind of bad. I, I mean, I can't speak to what happened, but so we would get together and it was like a range of ages from like 11 to 18. I feel like there were kids that were like 19 and you were like doing improv with people of all ages. And then you would do a weekly show and like, it would just be like four parents in the audience. But it felt, I mean, it was amazing. I, it was like one of my favorite experiences of high school. And Sarah and I just like, I don't, I just remember thinking Sarah was very cool. I mean, she was like a very, very cool very cool chick. I was like, I want to be friends with her. Interesting. And I felt the same way. I was like, she's hilarious. Let's do this. And here we are 10 plus years later. And I do also want to say the reason I thought, one of the reasons I thought you were cool, besides the fact that you were a full on, may I say, a cool actress that had like been on TV shows like that. I was a child actress. Yes. And you also wore a necklace that had a magnifying, it was a magnifying Oh, glass. yeah, I had that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that girl has style. <laughs> I love how you remember that. Oh, my God. How could I forget? Well, there were some great adventures we had. I have to say, one adventure, looks like Sarah was like, Sarah is and was a working actress. And I that was like so out of the realm of like what I knew or experienced. And it was like, I was just so lucky one instance that's coming to mind is Sarah did a guest spot on Wizards of Waverly Place, which is like iconic as fuck. She played David Henry's love interest. It's like Selena Gomez's older brother on the show. And I don't want to take I was it away. a werewolf. Yeah. Sarah was a full-blown werewolf, a sexy werewolf on Wizards of Waverly Place. That's huge in your teen years. That's like, that's huge. It was before my 17th birthday. Like I celebrated my 17th birthday after that. And we... Caroline and Jeff came to the set, sat in that audience. I think the Jonas Brothers were there. It was really exciting. It yeah, that's like really the coolest exciting. thing in the like you've ever done in your life when you're 16. It's the coolest thing I've ever done well, in my life. Well, that's what I was saying. That's what I was saying. Like, quick question: What was everyone's? I don't know why this is coming to mind. What was everyone's first concert? In sync, I think at the Staples Mine was Center. In sync too. At the Staples Center. Probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll my never forget tickets. it. I got tickets through his work. Damn. I don't remember. Mine was either NSYNC or Britney Spears. I do that remember a, going to a Britney That's what concert. I was thinking. I was like, was it? It's maybe tied for a second. I was like with my dad. I'm at an outdoor amphitheater being like, where's Brit? Nothing like attending a concert when you're like in middle school with your parents. Nothing. So I want to talk about each of you individually because I feel like you've both done just like the coolest things in the world a little bit before we get into the literally hundreds of questions I have about this show. But Sarah, I'm going to start with you. You joined the cast of Parenthood in 2009. 
What was that experience like growing up on a show? Well, I do want to say I definitely grew up on TV sets, on like specifically the sets of family dramas. And that started, you know, pretty much right after the Mary-Kate and Ashley cruise. I was like, let me get into acting so I can be like them. And did that on a couple of different shows before Parenthood. And then Parenthood was when I was in high school and about to graduate. And it was definitely a game changer. Like I was like, okay, I could either go to college right now and just kind of call it quits on this whole acting thing or like see what happens or... I'll do a show. And I end up getting this show, which was extremely exciting. I loved Friday Night Lights, which was created by Jason Kadams, who also created Parenthood. Who else did I love? I loved Mae Whitman. Like, I was a fan of the people who were on the show, which was really exciting. Like, Lauren Graham was on the show, and I loved Gilmore Girls. And so many, like, TV titans, and it was really cool. I was a huge Parenthood fan. And for me— Growing up watching it, I feel like if you were our age watching it, it was there were so many lessons that were being taught at the same time just as a viewer. I feel like the things that come to mind for me, you know, family dance parties, um, <laughs> massive dinner scenes, and like my character's storyline at the end of season one, I think, was like my cousin slept with my character's boyfriend and we like had a like bitch fight, like a full like physical fight about it on the soccer field. And then my character's dad is like, just forgive her. And my character's like, okay. And like, does it? (laughs) And to me, I was like, oh, is this like, is this what having a healthy family is? Like, I really was like, whoa, that's not I think, shouldn't she still be bitter about the fact that she slept with her boyfriend? Like, how are they just going to leave that in the past? Valid. In that way, they are aspirational, I think. You know, not I, th- I believe in forgiveness. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying, yeah, parenthood was a learning experience for me, too. I also love hearing that you were like, I was a fan of everybody on the show because I just love this constant thread of you being open about being a fan of all these things while also being in it. I think that's the coolest thing ever. Thank you. Thank you. It's something I've definitely embraced. If you guys haven't been on Sarah's website, she literally has like an autograph. What do you call it? An autograph? Autograph hound. Yes. Very exciting. I'm doing a zine of that where I put all of my um, photos, the fan photos I took with celebrities when I went to premieres when I was a teen. Not a teen, excuse me, preteen and up until today. But anyways, I'm putting them all into a book too. I mean, iconic. And I have to say my most favorite one out of all of them, and I'm so glad that you had this, was the Shane West photo. Mm. That photo was taken at a Teen People. Remember the magazine Teen People? Teen People party for 25 stars under 25. I was just going to say, Sarah, can you read out some more of the names of the people you took selfies with? Because I just feel like if I were listening, I would want to know some more names. Well, oh. here's the Mary Kate and Ashley pick. We got Mary Kate and Ashley. We got, mm-hmm. I went to the Lizzie McGuire premiere where I met wow. Kirstie Alley, Hillary Duff, and Darren Carter. Woo! We got Lucy Liu, Drew Barrymore, and Pink from the Charlie's Angels Full Throttle premiere. <laughs> I mean, we have the Shane West, Matthew Perry, a Bruce Willis, a Colin Farrell, another moment of the times. I don't know. Shane West in a walk to remember was like the just first ever for me. Like, it's just like, I really appreciate the. Yeah. Wow. Like, 
he's giving that look that he like gives in the hallway scene when he goes and beats the guys up for like the nude photos. If you guys have not watched Walk to Remember, it's something you need to watch right now before you keep listening. It was a sexual awakening for me and the book as well. I remember reading the book at two, probably too young of an age and being very horny. Can we back up a second? Sarah, do you remember, is there one instance of asking for an autograph that really stands out in your mind? And like the celebrity was so nice or like took an interest in you. Like, tell us, tell us a story. I want like a real, like, I, I would, yeah, I would love a fangirl story. Okay, well, the only thing coming up is like kind of embarrassing, but um, I, at the Charlie's Angels Full Throttle premiere, look, you might think that me having gotten one amazing photo multiple amazing photos with the Olsen twins on that cruise was like enough for me, but it wasn't because when I saw Mary Kate Olsen at the after party for Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, you know, a mere two years since the cruise, I guess, I went up to her and introduced myself again. I did have the same studio teacher as they had had. Mm. Um, And so I did, you know, start a conversation about that. And I remember Mary Kate being so nice and just having a full conversation with me a like 12 year old at a party <laughs> who should not be at the party. And we got another pick. And I just remember being like, are we friends? Like, I think we are. I, I mean, love the like, I love that you like came to the table with like a similar, like a foundation for her to be like, oh yeah, cool. Like that's great brilliant. Tactic. Br- great tactic. Great tactic, especially for a 12 year old, like the brilliance. I know, but. I want to yeah. talk about quarantine scenes a little bit before we, before we keep shifting. I need to know all about how this idea came to mind. The like inception of quarantine scenes. Like it's been so much fun to see this evolution and to see how people are like tripping out over them. I love it. Thank you so much. Quarantine scenes, I mean, for people who don't know, it is a video series where I just like reenact uh, scenes from iconic movies and TV shows. Keeping the fandom strong. Keeping the fandom, like the through line is there. Yeah, keeping the, the fandom strong. strong. The brand is strong. It's yeah. getting stronger. It's getting stronger than I am. Um, <laughs> it started with, I just had this scene from Bring It On, like, memorized my entire life, just naturally. You guys, As I'm sure you guys have scenes from movies or, like, phrases, like, in your head. Like, what are some of, for you guys? Scenes memorized? Quite you know, like, like a song. Oh, a song. I mean, No, not sure. a song. Like a song. Okay, wait. <laughs> different and no I don't I don't think I do have Olivia do you movie scenes clueless maybe some scenes from clueless. exactly I mean how many times you get in situations with like your friends where all of a sudden you're reciting a line from Mean Girls I know you just did it but like that to me is the pinnacle like everyone's always doing that exactly I mean 10 years later people are still posting on social media like on Wednesdays we wear pink literally it's insane the impact the impact the impact but I have various like scene stuck in my head, like, or even just exchanges, like, in 10 Things I Hate About You, when Bianca and Gabrielle Union, you know, they're having that classic conversation. They're like— About the the bag? Yes. You know, there's a difference between like and love. I like my Skechers. But I love my Prada bag. (laughs) But I, like— Prada backpack. Backpack. My Prada bag. And then Gabrielle Union says, but I love my Skechers. And Larissa Olenek, I believe her name is, says— that's because you don't have a Prada backpack. Wow. Powerful. 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 Class. Truly warfare. powerful. <laughs> to close the scene, the the loop, I basically just had this scene from Bring It On stuck in my head. And not to scare you, Olivia, because I, I heard you say you talk about this in every episode, but I was like 
TikTok teens are really creative <laughs> and maybe I should do like, is this what TikTok is for? So I really did it on TikTok. I was like, I think this is what TikTok is. And I did this scene from Bring It On, Me Opposite Me. Oh my gosh. You're on TikTok? Uh, this was like the first time I used, first and like last time basically I, I used it. Oh. Honestly, I can't figure it out. She's right. I do talk about it in every episode, but like it's because I'm insecure about it. I can't figure it out. I feel old. I'm like, am I supposed to be doing this? Like it's it's too much for me. I commend you for trying. I really do. Well, that's where it really started from. I was like, am I supposed to be doing this? And then I was like, I can't figure out TikTok, but I'll keep doing it on the social media platforms I can understand. And I just want to clarify, when we say I we can't figure out how to do it. I cannot figure out how to make a TikTok. When people do like those transitions where like they throw their boots up in the air and all oh, of a sudden they're in a great outfit. It. <laughs> Duets? I don't understand yeah, how, how they edit within the app. That's, it's like that's a, one of many questions I have. I don't know. It's a lot of work for me. I just got to let go and let God. I'm not going to master TikTok. It's just not going to happen. I'm not. That's how I felt. I was just like, I don't need to spend more time on my phone, like editing with my massive thumbs that like can't hit the correct spot. Like I was just like, I need to spend less time on my phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of, that's like the moment I'm in right now. And I hope it's a moment that lasts. But I just watched The Social Dilemma and I'm like, ah, they're reprogramming my brain. Yeah, I have devastating carpal tunnel. Like I'm not I mean, yes, Miss Official Sean Penn. Let's talk about that. That's me. <laughs> I'm like, uh, <laughs> when were you like, I'm just going to pretend to be, I know you're not pretending to be Sean Penn, but it's like, I almost envision like if you, if I were you, I'd wake up one morning with like a conniving smile on my face and be like, I'm going to throw Sean Penn for a loop today. Like, that's what I feel like it. I just, when I, you know, I made an Instagram in college and I was like, oh my God, you can change your name to whatever you want. And I thought it was so funny. I just kept changing it from official to different celebrities like it was official Bjork. And then I remember, I think I had like official, at one point it was official Sonia Sotomayor, which is so weird. And official, like, oh, official Judy Dench and stuff like that. You had official Meryl so Streep. funny. Yes, official Meryl Streep. Thank you. Thank you. I thought it was so funny. <laughs> and I still think it's funny, girl. I do and too. One, like, did, has Sean Penn hit you up and been like, hey, let's talk? I have gotten confirmation that Sean Penn knows about it and he doesn't care. <laughs> I talked to, I met this girl who's like, oh my God, okay, like I work for Sean Penn. I've worked for him for like five years and I'm a big fan of you. I was like, and like, what did he say? And she's like, yeah. So like every time I show him it, he like doesn't care and like she just doesn't give a shit about you or anything you do. I'm like, woo. Yeah, you're <laughs> like, like, here I yes. go. Sean Penn really worked because like I'm, and my voice is the opposite of Sean Penn, right? He's like a humorless, toxic. Very stoic. Super straight, like, stoic, like class act, actor. Uh, he like chain smokes, humorless. I don't know. And I'm like horny. I like camp and like, I like to objectify men and all kinds of crazy stuff. And yeah, that's what I use Instagram for. And it's great. It's great. Only like 50% of people think I'm Sean Penn, which is pretty good. It's pretty high. No, yeah, you'd be surprised. My messages are like, dear Mr. Sean, <laughs> like, thank you for Mystic River. Like, you've been such an inspiration to me. Like, are they really, PDF. Karen? 
Like, how many people really think you're Sean Penn? How could they possibly? I I would say, in all seriousness, I would say 10% of my followers think I'm Sean Penn. Okay. Okay. Like, on one hand, official Sean Penn has been great, and it's been, like, as crazy as it sounds, my Instagram has been, like, an entree into TV writing and, like, doing all this great stuff and people being like, oh, my God, like, I love your writing. Like, come work on this or whatever. But on the other hand, so many people are like so truly confused as to who I am, what I do. Like there's so many layers of confusion that I've added that probably didn't need to be there, but it's okay. We'll yeah, like do. I don't think I don't think I knew you were writing for James Corden until I saw you again at Shop Up. Yeah, I've written for a bunch of cool shows. I've written for I wrote for James the Late Night James Corden show. It's called The Late Late Show with James Corden. I don't know why I'm not saying it right. I've <laughs> I've written for some shows that haven't come out yet, like the show Chad that's going to come out on TBS with Nassim Pedrad. So funny. And right now I'm writing for uh, a new show produced by Mindy Kaling called Amazing. The Sex Lives of College Girls. Wow, congratulations. Next year. Thank you. Of course. And yeah, I've contributed to like Broad City and the Eric Andre show and other cool shows. Amazing. That's so awesome. I actually read this interview with you when it came out and I loved it so much. It was the Cosmopolitan interview that you did about all the horrible jobs that you had in New York and even coming back to LA. And I remember reading it when it came out because I was super excited and I had known you distantly and I just related to it. I was like, shit, you live in New York and you actually do the worst jobs when you're in school and figure out whatever it is that you want to do. Yeah, which I'll let you get into. But on that note, we have so many young people listening on the show, so many college students. And I was wondering what your best advice was out of all those experiences that helps you get to where you are now and not navigating just like a really gnarly job environment. You know, the importance of hard work can't be overestimated. Don't be that person who is afraid of, I guess, getting their hands dirty or like, just doing hard, boring tasks. You're not above it. Like there's a million people out there who will take your job and do it, do it with a smile and not complain. Like, and I guess one thing that I think is really important that I wish that like someone had told me, it's like, if you want to be a creative person, like do that thing, like make a web series, make a podcast, like getting the experience and making something is the most, it's like the most important thing you can do on your own creative path. And like if your first web series is a piece of fucking shit and it probably will be, your next web series will be that much better because you learned so much more. You know what I mean? Totally. You have to, I think, and I agree with you. That's like a big piece of advice I've been given too, is like we have all the resources in the world right now. Like if you want to do something, you have no excuse to not do it and at least try it out. Do it. Do it. Do it. Is the, Nike had it right. Just do it. I do. Just do it. Okay, let's talk about the podcast. First off, tell us about The Renner Files and what it's about. We were really attracted to the idea of making a true crime podcast about something that wasn't a murder or that wasn't actually a crime, but borrowing the tropes of the genre and producing something that's like at the level of a serial or insert true crime podcast here, but about something like kind of silly and the topic that we decided on was the Jeremy Renner app, which is 
a topic that had interested both of us. To be specific, I the way I remember it was we had all these plans for this other podcast we were doing and we had to fill like 48 episodes of them. Yeah, we let's- had, We had one episode. 48? Okay. Yes, but that's no longer happening. But point being, we had we were like, we're basically a late night show and we need to do pop culture material. And we always knew, okay, well, one episode will be about the Jeremy Renner app. And I was like, well, we need to fill 48 episodes. Like, why don't we do two episodes about the Jeremy Renner app? And then once quarantine hit, it was like, wait, why are we even doing this project? Why don't we do eight episodes about the Jeremy Renner app? And I was really pushing to do eight Sarah was like, Sarah, Sarah wanted to do, Sarah would have done 15 episodes on the Jeremy Renner app. But I thought eight seemed realistic. I don't know what other two episodes it would have been. I mean, at this point, since, since we did this podcast, he's literally released two EPs. The sad thing is since we started this project, Jeremy Renner has put out so much content and we're like behind, like people are like, oh, do you cover like his last two EPs? We're like, not even like, The man is a content machine. That's pretty much how we started. And then we somehow were like narrowed it down to six episodes. And each episode has a succinct, you know, theme. Episode one, who is Jeremy Renner? We really, I'm really proud of it. It goes kind of, it's kind of like not a true Hollywood story, but like kind of, or like behind the music, but like about an actor's career. And we really break down his arc, which is like a 20 year plus career. Well, and like Sarah's saying, it's like, these sound like straightforward. It's like, are you just reading Jeremy Renner's Wikipedia page? And it's like, we did so much research and uncovered stuff that is so, in each episode, we uncovered truly shocking revelations and like story turns that, uh, as far as I know, other journalists have not uncovered. Like we were breaking. As we talked about, you know, I've been around since I was posing with Colin Farrell at the Lara Croft Tomb Raider premiere. Like, I've gotten into some shenanigans in Hollywood. The most subtle flex. Jeremy Renner and I came onto the scene at about the same time. Like, yes, he may have been starring in that Gushers commercial and then quickly, and the It Factor Los Angeles, and then SWAT or whatever. And I was, like, trolling or, like, not trolling, like, following around celebrities, but— I um, really relate to him and I'm I'm fascinated by his trajectory. So like Sarah said, each episode is kind of a specific topic and it all comes together to unpack the very fascinating story of Jeremy Renner's iPhone app, which for those that don't know, we believe is it's one of the very few apps released by an Oscar nominated celebrity. Like when you think iPhone apps, you think, oh, Kim Kardashian had an app. You know, like maybe, you know, a couple other celebrities that had an app, but like Jeremy Renner, who's like not a guy who presents as this like digital, like, you know, like Instagram-y kind of like gen millennial-y kind of guy. He had an app and it was, there's a lot of reporting on reporting on it online. It basically flamed out in a really like insane way. We're like, there's a story here. We have to, we have to tell it. We have to dig it. How did it flame out? That's a really good question. So that's kind of the subject of episode six, our finale. But in episode five, we really cover some of the other controversy that was happening within the Jeremy Renner fan community on the app. So basically, as you can see in our world, like social media, you know, it might seem like a get rich quick scheme, but 
it's got some pitfalls. Like, that's a tricky, we got our social, the people who run social media in Congress, like testifying that like, they're not being the downfall of our culture. And so a couple years ago when celebrities, when we assume, you know, these app companies were coming to celebrities being like, hey, slap your name on this app and it'll be amazing. You know, it was a little bit of a social dilemma, as you might say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like Sarah's saying, as you'll learn in the podcast, like this company who we talk a lot about at length in the podcast approached Jeremy Renner was like, do you want to slap your name on this app? It's like this cookie cutter app we do for a bunch of different celebrities. And we're paraphrasing. People will pay to use. We're totally paraphrasing right now. And people will just like pay you to use it. And like you're just cash a check every month, basically. Jeremy Renner's like, yes, sounds great. Sign and you'll up, be but- creating a safe haven for your fans away from, you know, the perils of big social where anybody can come in, not just people who love you. Right. It's like a digital fan club where like, it's just going to be your fans just like showing you love and like paying for stars to show you more love, which again, we go into so much more detail in the podcast. And so there were a couple issues. One is the the technicality of the app itself left a lot to be desired. There were straight up technical glitches that were a bit of an issue. Two, when you have a system where people are paying to be seen by Jeremy Renner, it was truly like a pay for play, kind of like the more money you spend, the more likely it is that you'll get noticed by Jeremy Renner. Right. We like to describe it as now cameo, which you you can pay for a direct video from a celebrity, but it was like cameo, but like you might not get that video, but like you might get it. People were like pumping in hundreds of dollars. It was a bit... We're not going to You say said it. it. We didn't say it. it. It was just, we didn't say you it. know, it was like gamified, perhaps. Huh? Right. Am I going to get it or should I put in more? And it created this kind of bred a lot of fan infighting and fan resentment. And it kind of almost started like a digital class war where like certain fans were mad that other fans were getting noticed and like wow. were mad that they were like, that like you had to even pay to get noticed by Jeremy. And is that like, they felt like they were maybe being exploited. So like you have like infighting and kind of an, an unstable kind of like fandom within the app. And then when you put on top of that, basically the, the app became infiltrated by trolls. Once like the internet at large found out about the Jeremy Renner app and they're like, why the fuck does Jeremy Renner have an app? Like, let's get in there and troll it up. And like Sarah said earlier, the main means by which they were trolling were creating fake celebrity accounts in the app. Like some people were like, I'm it's like the dark web. <laughs> it was, it got very dark. Literally dark web. Fast. It ranged so, from something as harmless as like Italian Jeremy Renner being like, first I make of the Avengers. Then I eat of the rigatoni to being like, uh, uh, official Jeffrey Epstein being like, yeah, like there was some fucked up shit happening. It was very dark webby. Wow. So like, it happened really quickly, and Jeremy Renner was just like, I'm shutting this down. Posted an infamous statement on his yeah. Instagram. Just a year ago, where he said, the app has jumped the shark, literally. See, I, my memory's crazy. I think I could, like, I think I could remember it. <laughs> the statement, Jeremy Renner's. Yeah. You guys say this a lot on the show. Like, what does it mean to jump the shark? What does it mean to jump the shark? Like, I've never heard that in my life. Well, okay, so jump the shark is a somewhat famous phrase, media phrase, and it it's refers to when a TV show has 
an incident happens and that's that point at which the TV show is like not as good as it used to be. And it's from an episode of Happy Days when Fonz, Fonzie, he, he's water skiing and he, he does the, a jump on his water skis over a shark. And so that phrase is literally like- He that's literally the jumped a shark. Like, he jumped yes, over a shark yes. on a water ski. Oh, wow. And that's what people say. TV historians are like, that's when Happy Days became bad. So like there's, I think there's like a website, jumptheshark.com, where you can go see like people will agree on what point each TV show jumps the shark. That's phenomenal. I'm anyway, going to spend the rest of my night so on the, that most likely. Point, the interesting thing is that Jeremy Renner is using that phrase incorrectly. Because like, A, it refers to TV shows. And B, it was never good. when Jeremy Renner says the app, the app had, that's that I would argue is also true. And when you say the app has jumped the shark literally, by no means did it literally jump a shark. In fact, it would be, maybe you would say metaphorically, but even that doesn't really work because it's not a TV show. Point being, it's a fucking shit show. <laughs> and it's a thrilling, it's a truly thrilling story. He's like, the app has jumped the shark, literally, due to clever individuals who have figured out ways to impersonate me and others within the app. I have asked EscapeX, the company that runs this app, runs the app, to shut it down immediately and refund anyone who has purchased any stars over the next 90 days. It goes on and on. And I do want to say our podcast is not just us telling the story. We have interviews with People that we have interviews with all kinds of people, people that worked at the company that made the app, people that were fans of Jeremy Renner that use the app every day. We have an interview with Seth Rogen inexplicably who brings to the table a really fascinating story about Jeremy Renner that is we cannot say because we want you to listen. What did Seth Rogen say when you hit him up and was like, we're like, we're doing this project? He was down for the cause. He, we were like, we're making a true crime story about Jeremy Renner's app. And I saw that he had tweeted about something very specific to the story of Jeremy Renner. And again, I don't want to say what it is, but I should I just say what it is? Well, he, don't say the full story, but he, we were looking into the fact that Jeremy Renner in like 2003, at the same time that he was nominated for an Indie Spirit Award for Dahmer, a really serious movie about the serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer. He was also the star of a Bravo reality show about struggling actors trying to make it in LA. And Seth Rogen had tweeted about having seen the it factor. So Caroline and had the B up. side of that is, as you'll hear on the podcast, there's no footage of this Bravo reality show anywhere on the internet. I dug deep, like in forums, YouTube, like you cannot find a drop of footage from this season that Jeremy Renner was on. And Seth Rogen tweeted that he had seen it. And we're like, dude, we need you to go on the record and talk about this. And he was like, I'm there. <laughs> no, he was like, tell me when and where. That was good. That was great. It was top of quarantine. We literally Zoomed with him the next day. And I have to say. Down for the cause. Down like, for the. Really, really, really just ready to go. And again, like Sarah just mentioned, this was a quarantine project. Like going back to April, we were like, what the fuck are we going to do with our days? And then we found sanity and working on the Jeremy Renner podcast eight hours a day, five days a fucking week. That was honestly the next thing I wanted to know. I don't know, like how, how much investigative work did you have to do in this? Like that would drive me insane. Like what was the process of, especially because 
like it's such a specific thing. Like, I don't know how to be an investigator. Like what went into the process of of figuring out all this information? There were, it's definitely- Caroline looks so stressed right now. (laughs) Deep dive is the correct word. We definitely took various tactics from- going, you know, really deep into Jeremy Renner fan tumblers, Jeremy Renner fan Instagram accounts, scrolling years back on them and seeing what they had to say around the time between 2017 when the app launched and 2019 when it shut down. Primary sources, secondary sources, finding people like deep in the internet that we thought could help tell our story begging them to be brave enough to share their story on the record, writing tons of questions for them, honestly sculpting, like narratively sculpting like a six episode podcast and like finding drama and creating like cliffhangers where there wouldn't typically be any. And then that's just the A side of it. What was the weirdest thing you learned in doing all this? (laughs) I would say the weirdest thing that happened and the scariest thing that happened was when a Jeremy Renner fan, who I will not mention any identifying details about their social media accounts or their name, lest they get upset with me, they slid into all of our social media DMs and told us that they had some anonymous tips about some really shady shit that happened on the app and had really shocking allegations that we just didn't even feel comfortable fully addressing. And I felt just like scared. I was like, we're in the dark web right now. I mean, I, Sarah and I have become the target of devoted Jeremy Renner fans. They just assume that we're doing this like fucking takedown piece trying to ruin his life when that's so not the case. Where do you guys draw the line in that regard towards like, fandoms and trolling. Well, that's kind of what's interesting about the whole thing. One person's trolling is another person's fandom. But at at one point, it is kind of interesting that the internet became so obsessed with the Jeremy Renner app that they, like, wanted to take it down. I didn't even know people were so obsessed with Jeremy Renner, to be honest. In my mind, I'm like, oh, it's the guy from Arrival. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Us too. But so you have these— um real Jeremy Renner fans who are rabid fans who, you know, don't want to be judged by how many Jeremy Renner app stars they can afford. They want to be judged by, you know, their their true fandom. And there's the infighting within the true fans. And then you have all of these, you know, official Sean Penns of the world who find out about the Jeremy Renner app, learn you can, like, make a funny name and, like, cosplay as whoever you want inside the insane like playground of the Jeremy Renner app and kind of poke fun at those Renner fans who are not, who like are kind of allergic to sarcasm. And that's when these trolls started taking advantage of those technological flaws Caroline had mentioned earlier. And the fans who were already fighting amongst themselves had to defend their sanctuary against these trolls. And then Jeremy Renner was just like, this is over. Do you guys think he knows about this show? I bet he knows at this point. I hope so. Jeremy, come on our podcast. We want to talk to you. Spoken like a true investigative journalist. Thank you so much. What can we look forward to on the show? Episode four is really exciting. (laughs) It's called um, The Truth About Escape X. And 
we talk a lot about the company that built the Jeremy Renner app, and we find out that it's an, a Singapore-based app company that makes cookie-cutter apps for a bunch of celebrities, including Amber Rose, Bob Marley, who is deceased, and Backpack Kid, and Jeremy Renner. Talk about like who runs that company, what their business model is, why and how did Jeremy Renner become acquainted with them? And on the flip side, we step back a little bit and talk a little bit about the perils of social media and what would drive someone like Jeremy Renner to want to create a standalone app. And like, why not just be on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram? And like, why make an app? What are like the celebs not getting from... YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Tumblr, Pinterest, Snapchat. Why do they need their own app? And it's pretty disturbing, fascinating shit. Where can everybody listening catch the show? I know you guys are on Apple Podcasts, but are there any other platforms? Search The Render Files wherever you get your podcasts, baby. Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, you name it. We're there. SoundCloud. But Apple Podcasts is the best. Hmm. I went through all of your reviews. People are really also as loyal as Seth Rogen to this cause. Yes. I love the reviews. I know. People are so funny. I know. We really think that we made something that is a totally new genre. It's like a parody. I couldn't agree with you more. It's a parody of true crime, but it's really researched and committed to like at the level of a serial type podcast. Like this is not a joke. Like it took us hundreds of hours to make this, but it's funny You'll be laughing, but it's like not the way that Sarah and I are talking on the show right now. We're really serving you. We're we're serving you true crime realness. We're literally. For real. Yeah. The first thing I thought of when I listened to the first episode, I was like, whoa, I've never heard anything like this where it's like really serious and dark and kind of weird, but I'm laughing. And like, you can tell there's a lot of work into it. It definitely is genre bending. What else are you guys binging right now? I feel like if I was to ask anybody what to watch right now, it would be the both of you. That's a good question. Well, I'm going to have to be a bit ringard and just admit that I'm fully almost done with Emily in Paris. Sarah, as you know, I have major legal issues with the creator, Darren Starr. So it's hard. It's very hard for me to watch it. I got in a car accident with Darren Starr and I can't legally go into details, but it's too painful to watch Emily in Paris for me. I'm so sorry. It's okay. It was his fault. I tr- it was his fault. I once, when I was a child actor, I worked with Darren Starr. So it's hard for it's me. It's hard. We have so much baggage. Both of you. The duality. Yeah, it's like, it's Caroline, but it's Darren. It's like, oof. I get it. I get it. <laughs> the trials and tribulations of Sarah and Caroline. Like, just another day for you guys. I get it. It's hard to be us. Caroline, what are you binging? I just finished Pen15, season two. So funny. And I've been watching a lot of old episodes of The Twilight Zone. So good. I mean, spooky season. Always a classic. Spooky season. It's so good. It's just, it's it's nourishing in the best ways. 30 minutes each, creepy, eerie, black and white. I love it. I like to close out every show by asking my guests if there are any resources or organizations or platforms that you want to draw attention to on this platform. So if you're listening to this and you live in Los Angeles and you maybe live in District 4, Vote for Nithya Raman for CD4. She's running for city council in District 4. Los Feliz, Silver Lake, Koreatown, parts of Hancock Park. We need uh, some like-minded. We need some good people on our city council. 
Thank you both for coming on. I'm so excited for both of you about the show, and I'm so excited to get people listening to it. And congratulations to both of you again. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.